This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Lidstitch, 25 cross-stitch patterns for book lovers made by Book Riot and Abrams. Inside Book Riot's Lidstitch, you'll find a number of rad bookish cross-stitch patterns. Some of these are for bookmarks, others are for wall decor, and still others can take on a whole host of finished outcomes. What they have in common is their literary bent. The patterns speak to all matter of literary-minded book lovers who are happy to display their nerdier sides. And what better way than through your own cross-stitch art to hang on your wall, prop on your desk, or even gift to friends and family? And most, if not all, are beginner-friendly and can be completed in a few hours, instant stitchification. So grab yourself some excellent embroidery floss, hoops, and needles and pick out one or more of these great cross-stitch patterns for your next project. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 78, and we're recording on Tuesday, May 19th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you doing? How are you holding up? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I feel like no one will hear what just happened in like the first minute of our recording, but I'm still having some serious issues like speaking i was already yawning a lot so it might be because of that but let's hope this recording goes better than that pre-roll did that was funny (laughs) and i say that just because i can sympathize like today today has just been kicking my butt like quarantine is kicking my butt i like have had no appetite i'm exhausted i'm stressed out my brain hurts my eyes hurt and it's just like, oh, yeah, I completely understand. The quarantine doldrums is what's going on right now. Yeah, that's perfect phrase for it. I was just thinking like I, I like most people, I'm completely unaware of like where we are in the day, week or month at all. Like I know like a general idea like today is Tuesday. But if you ask me the specific date, I wouldn't know if we're at the beginning of May or the end of May outside of the fact that you just said the date out loud. But um, <laughs> I like realized that it's Memorial Day weekend here in the United States. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, I need this weekend so badly. Like it's not like I have nothing planned. Or obviously, like I, I can't like have a big barbecue or anything. But I think I just need a weekend to just like relax my brain as much as it possibly can relax right now because I feel like I'm completely fried. Oh, 100%. Like I even last week, I kind of could tell that I was getting to this point. And so I emailed my boss. I was like, can I take Friday off? Yeah. Since we're all working from home and, you know, don't have to be anywhere. And he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I, I got myself a four day weekend and my brain is both going thank you and going, oh my God, Will Friday ever get here? Yeah. Like, it's Tuesday and the week is already 9 million days long. Yeah. It was funny because um, we had our, like, team meeting or whatever, like, our department meeting. Like, we have one every week. And and the one last week, they basically – I think they could tell, like, all of us are burning out. So they were like, um, please use your PTO if you feel <laughs> – like, don't feel like you need to wait. Because I think, like, when all of this stuff started happening and, uh, like – when we all started working from home, everyone was very much like not using their PTO because they were like, if I get sick or, you know, something happens with like a family member and I need time off, like people were very wary about using their time off. So literally at our last meeting, our manager was like, if you are getting burned out, please take a day or two off. Like we'll deal with capacity and plan accordingly. 
we can tell everyone's really tired. <laughs> so like a bunch of people are t- like, I didn't take the time off because I t- actually I was supposed to go on a, a trip out of town at the beginning of May. Obviously, that didn't happen, but I kept the days off. So I feel like I'm in a better place than other people in our department. But there are like a significant number of people who are just who are like so grateful that our management said that because they were just like, okay, yeah, we're like people are taking off like extra days around the weekend because, yeah, it's been a lot. <laughs> it it has been. And like all of our check-in meetings start with, so how are you doing today? And it's like for the last week, every day that we've had a meeting, like everyone's sighs just get more like bone deep. You're just like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too. It's just like no one's like knock on wood. We're all very lucky. And like, you know, everyone in our department and everything like that has been like relatively healthy. Everyone in their family has been, you know, doing fine. It's nothing like major, but it's just like the exhaustion of all of this is just like really getting to people, I think. Yeah, so if any of you are in the same boat, and I imagine a lot of you are, so, we, so much solidarity right now. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully this podcast will bring some like comfort and joy to, to your day. I hope so. Let's get into some comfort and joy. What do you say? Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, so uh, before we jump into the show, as usual, I have our first sponsor. And uh, this episode is sponsored by Amazon Publishing, who are the publishers of Devoted, the new book from Dean Koontz. If uh, for some reason you aren't aware, Dean Koontz is an international best-selling author. He is considered the master of suspense, and he has a new epic thriller about a terrifying killer and the singular compassion it will take to defeat him. Woody hasn't spoken a word in 11 years. Kip is his dog who is devoted to people. When he hears the boy who communicates like he does without speaking, Kip knows he needs to find him before it's too late. Woody's fears are taking shape. A man driven by evil has set a depraved plan into motion, and only a force greater than evil can stop what's coming next. So, like I said, this is a new book from Dean Koontz. Again, I don't think I need to explain who Dean Koontz is, but he has a new book coming out now from Amazon Publishing. So go ahead and read Devoted today, and we thank Amazon Publishing for sponsoring this episode. All right, all you bone-weary listeners. If you are new to the show, welcome. We are delighted to have you here. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We are so happy that you continue to tune in every two weeks to listen to us. Um, so as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is, we talk about mystery, suspense, thrillers, true crime, pretty much anything and everything that falls under that umbrella. Um, whether it's movie adaptations or reading recommendations or a new subgenre that, that neither of us are, have explored before, it's all fair game. And as always, we take this opportunity at the beginning of the show to invite listeners to contact us if you have any topics or suggestions for future episodes. We really welcome all of your suggestions. We have our always have our contact information at the end of the show. And we've, as we've said many, many times, we've gotten some really great suggestions over the last few years since we've been doing this podcast from listeners that have really helped us explore new books and quite frankly have helped us plan upcoming episodes which is which is always very helpful so thank you for that um and in fact uh, today's episode topic which we'll jump into a little bit later um comes from a listener suggestion so 
Thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. And even if you don't have an idea, just, you know, reach out, say hi. We love that, too. Um, I, connection and communication is more important now than ever, I think. So um, feel free to drop us a line. We always love hearing from everyone. And with that, we have a lot of news items the last couple of weeks. Um, we we had to filter out quite a few to even get it down to a manageable number for, for this episode. But anyway, we'll go ahead and jump jump into that with probably the most exciting update is that Jane Harper has a new book coming out. So if you've listened to the show before, you know that Rincey and I love Jane Harper. We've recommended her as... I mean, a great mystery writer on her own, but also a really great recommendation if you're a fan of Tana French. So this book is going to is called The Survivors. Um, the link that we'll have in the show notes is to Jane Harper's Instagram page where she does a cover reveal. We don't really know anything about the plot. As far as I can tell, the book is set to be released in the U.S. in February of next year. That could very well change, given how many publication dates have have been changed over the last couple of months. But right now, it's set for February. And if the cover is any indication, it looks really dark and atmospheric and moody. And it looks like the cover is automatically selling the book for me. I mean, that and the fact that it's a Jane Harper novel. But um, if you're a Jane Harper fan, time to get excited. And then, you know, as we get more information about that book, we'll for sure um, share that with everyone. And then... As I think almost every episode now, it feels like we've got Stephen King adaptation news. Like this, it's unbelievable how regular the Stephen King adaptation news just keeps coming in. And this this episode, we've got two updates. Um, so the first one is that the filmmakers who did Doctor Sleep are now tackling Stephen King's novel Revival, which came out like I don't know about five six years ago. Um, so again, this is a, this is a really new announcement. So we don't have, um, we don't really have any information about, um, actors who are attached to it or anything like that, but that is going to be in the works. So prepare for uh, an adaptation of Revival, which is actually one of the, um, one of Stephen King's recent novels that I have not read yet. I own it. (laughs) I bought it as soon as it came out. I just haven't read it yet. But anyway, so that's happening. And then HBO Max has picked up the rights to Stephen King's novella that he co-wrote with his son, Joe Hill, called Throttle. And again, this one um, also doesn't have a ton of information about it other than HBO Max has picked it up, but that one is going to be in the works as well. Um, If you are familiar with Stephen King, you're probably familiar with Joe Hill as as well, who writes a lot of horror and is a fantastic horror author in his own right. But yeah, so that's something else to look forward to. And then my last bit is not, well, it's, it's adaptation related. It's about the Defending Jacob adaptation, which I know we've talked about before. I've talked about the book multiple multiple times. I really loved the book. And as a heads up, this article has spoilers in it for both the book and the movie or the, the TV show. So if you want to be unspoiled, don't click on the link. I have not myself clicked on the link, but... The headline is that the ending to the adaptation is different than the one in the book. 
And that's all I'm going to say on that. But for me, the the ending to the book was is the primary reason why I have not been able to stop talking about this book. And so I'm both interested to watch to watch the adaptation now and also wary because I'm like, okay, changed it something different. I'm I won't know what to expect. That's good. But on the other hand, I'm like the ending to the book was so like, ah, and so I'm a little torn on that. So if you are trying to decide if you want to watch it or read the book or whatever the case may be, just know that the two endings are indeed very different according to this article. And if you don't mind spoilers, go ahead and click on, on the link. We'll have it in the show notes, but just be warned. Spoilers. Yeah, if you end up watching that adaptation, I definitely would love to hear what you end up thinking about it and how that ending compares to what you read in the book. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, it's one of those things that I'm like, hmm, dare I? I don't know. So I'll have to I'll have to think on it. But if I but if I start watching it, I will for sure report back with no spoilers. Of course. (laughs) All right. So more adaptation news. Uh, So Christopher Pike's novel, The Midnight Club, has been optioned to uh, be adapted for Netflix. And it's being adapted by the team behind The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the sort of sequel follow up uh, adaptation thing that they're doing at Netflix for The Hunting of Hill House. So the book was originally published in 1994, and it takes place at Rotterdam House, which is a hospice for terminally ill teenagers. And a group of patients begin to gather every night or every night at midnight to share scary stories. And they eventually make a pact that whichever of them dies first will contact the others from beyond the grave. That's like the premise behind the story. So like I said, this adaptation is coming to Netflix. There's not a whole lot of information because it basically was just ordered. And we just know that the team behind The Haunting of Bly Manor is also doing this. So The Haunting of Bly Manor is supposed to come out this year. Again, we'll see what happens. Uh, And so I can't imagine that this will come out any earlier than next year. But if you're a fan of Christopher Pike, this is something that you can look forward to. And in other Shirley Jackson tangential news there is an adaptation called or a film called shirley which is a film based on shirley jackson um so this is starring elizabeth moss and i feel like anytime elizabeth moss is attached to anything that immediately makes everyone pay closer attention to it because that means they'll probably be good um so this movie adapts the novel by the name shirley by susan scarf merrill uh which is about a couple I think it's a young couple or a couple of people, I can't actually tell, um, that stay uh, with Shirley Jackson and her husband and who end up inspiring one of Shirley Jackson's horror novels. So the trailer looks amazing. um, And this is actually coming out on demand in June. Um, So because of everything that's happening in the world, you know, there's releasing it straight to on demand. So you don't have to wait very long to watch it and you will be able to watch it in your homes if you're interested. So again, the link will be in the show notes to the trailer if you're interested in checking that out if you are a Shirley Jackson fan. But I feel like even if you're not a Shirley Jackson fan, the trailer looks really good. I'm not a trailer watcher. Typically when trailers come out, I usually don't watch them. But from what little I have gleaned, it does look really good. (laughs) And it's like one of those trailers where you're just like, WTF is happening here, (laughs) which I think is the point. (laughs) All right. And then for our final piece of news is something regarding an author who, I mean, I had never heard of. It's a French author, but the story is fascinating. So it is following an author named Stéphane Bourguin. 
I think I, I did my best there. Um, so he is a French author who was considered like an expert on serial killers. He had written around like 40 books about serial killers. He has been in like documentaries and like on TV shows as like this expert on serial killers and murderers. He said that he interviewed like more than 70 serial killers. He trained at Quantico. And he even said that his own wife was murdered in the 1970s by a man who was a serial killer or like eventually confessed to like killing a bunch of different people. But apparently this was all a lie. (laughs) Like everything that he said, uh, it seems like, has a, has been a, a lie. I think he did actually interview some serial killers. Just not nearly as many as he mentioned, and not Charles Manson, okay. like he said. S- but still a lot of lies. Like, his wife never existed. <laughs> or at least the wife who got murdered never existed, question mark. Um, a lot of the like interviews and the explanations that are being done are like in- with like French based uh publications so i only read like the guardian article that we'll have linked in the show notes for you to check out which just like pulls the quotes out and things like that um but though yeah it says the wife who he said was murdered never existed or she she existed but she was not his wife yeah and yeah exactly (laughs) sorry that's what i meant she is an actual person but not his wife um he didn't train at quantico and he never trained with the FBI, never interviewed Charles Manson. Um, yeah, like Katie said, met far fewer killers than he claimed and never worked as a professional footballer, <laughs> which is also a nice little tidbit thrown in there by The Guardian. So, yeah, this is wild because he, again, wrote like 40 books based all around this and was like well known throughout France Um or not well known, but like a bestseller in France and things like that. And now it has come out that all of this was fake. So yeah, apparently like an anonymous organization or something like that accused him of the lies in the past and he never uh, admitted to it until now. So this is wild (laughs) to me. I can't believe that you would go to such far lengths and that people wouldn't realize that it was all a lie either. Like people in the publishing industry who are putting these books out would, I mean, I'm always completely flabbergasted by the lack of any sort of like fact checking that publishing seems to do when it comes to any nonfiction books. Like just minor facts. Just get those checked out at least to make sure that, you know, the person that you're writing about isn't just making everything up. I, yeah, it's one of those things like serial liars. <laughs> are just, it's so mind-boggling that just how their brains work, like, kind of like you're, like, we're fascinated by serial killers. I'm also fascinated by compulsive liars, like, in a really bad way. But what people can make up and run with, and that people, and that other people do not question, is so incredible. Like, I have loved ones who have had interactions like relationships with serial liars and the stuff that they that these people came to believe based on what this what this other person told them is absolutely mind-boggling like it just does not seem like it should be real but it is and this i feel like is not like we're like oh my god this is bonkers this i'd feel like this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to bonkers stuff that people have made up like yeah, it's just so weird. Like, he picked this woman 
and said she was his wife, who he had briefly met and who was murder, who was in fact one of the victims of this particular serial killer, but was not his wife. But he went around saying that she was. And I'm just like, what? And in the article, he does say, he says that my lies have weighed me down. I am profoundly and sincerely sorry. We'll leave those statements as is. I am glad that he is showing some kind of remorse for the lies because it just, it, it then it calls into question, like, all the stuff that he's, that he's written about. Like, how, like, he's written 40 books. Someone who's written that many books about a particular topic has so much influence on future research in that area. And, like, he undoubtedly has had a big influence on crime investigation in France and all of this stuff. He's tre- He was treated as an expert. And then all of a sudden to realize, oh, hey, he's kind of been making everything up. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> these are such big questions that come up. And I'm just like, what? I mean, it also feels like the quintessential story to come out during the pandemic, just because it's like this and murder hornets. <laughs> like... <laughs> Nothing surprises me anymore. And like yesterday, I saw someone. Someone was like, "Oh, apparently there's news that a UFO may have crashed in Brazil." And I'm like, "Sure, why not?" Yeah, just add it to the list. <laughs> add it to the bingo card. Oh man. Well, anyways, you should definitely check out this article. I wish that I read French now because, like, I want to read the fuller interviews and articles about this stuff and kind of see like sort of what French people think about this whole situation. Uh, But yeah, this is just wild to me for everything that you just said. It's just it's ridiculous in like the most bonkers way, like the details that he chose to like cling to and to use and the lies that he chose to say, because like he could have written a book about this young woman who was murdered by a serial killer without the detail or the lie about it being his wife and like adding all of these unnecessary numbers to the work that he had done and oh it's wild i can't i can't (laughs) all right well let's go ahead and leave that there and i'll i'll go ahead we'll do our second sponsor and then we'll jump into the rest of the episode which doesn't have anything else to do with this guy All right, so um, our second sponsor for the episode is Book Riot Insiders, the digital hangout spot for the Book Riot community. If you are not already a part of Book Riot Insiders, um, you would probably be interested to take take a look at it. Um, Enrich your reading life with new Book Riot Insider perks. So we've got three levels to Insiders. There's short story, novel, and a brand new epic level. You can try any level for free for two weeks. The highlight is the new group read that's hosted online available to all Epic members, and there's no cap on the number of Epic members that can enroll, so the more the merrier. Each quarter, the Epic members will read a book voted on by the subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2020 Read Harder Challenge, and they cap off their read-along with a live chat. But wait, there's more! There's even more perks available to um, Book Riot Insider subscribers, so get the full details on this, all the other perks, um, and sign up at insiders.bookriot.com. And we thank them very much for sponsoring the episode. All right, so like Katie mentioned at the top or near the top of the episode, the today's episode topic comes from a listener of the show, so thank you so much. They mentioned that they wanted us to talk about mysteries and thrillers that feature religion, and they specifically said 
that doesn't include Dan Brown, <laughs> which <laughs> made me laugh. Um, so we decided to do that because, you know, that's always fun. So uh, Katie and I both have two different books or a different book each uh, to talk about. So Katie, do you want to start with yours? Because I've never heard of yours before. Yeah. Um. So the book that I read is called Shamed by Linda Castillo. And it's number 11 in the Kate Burkholder series. Um, the reason why I am familiar with this book is because it was a library reads pick like last year. I, I think it came out last year. And in this it's a police procedural series, and we could not keep this book on the shelves in my library. Like, it was consistently checked out, which was one of the reasons why it got my attention. And then when we decided to do mysteries with religious themes in it, I thought of this book. So what's interesting about this book is that Kate Burkholder is a police officer in Ohio, and she was born into an Amish family, and she's since left the Amish religion, but she still lives in the community and works with people who with Amish people in the community, and it talks a lot about the conflicts between the Amish way of life and what they call the English way of life, which is anyone who's not Amish. And so this was, I, I will say, I have not yet finished the book. Like I said, quarantine's been kicking my butt the last few days, but I'm, I am probably about two thirds of the way through it. This is not what I expected. Like I went into this with the wrong assumption thinking, oh, this is going to be a cozier style mystery. It is not. It is very much not. The Amish community is at the heart of the story where the crime takes place. But it, this, it's very much a very fast-paced police procedural. Like, if you're looking for a police procedural, like, with all the details and, like, you know, working with the different members of the police department and, like, what do all those codes mean that the, that the officers say into their radio? What do those mean? Like, this book has all of those details. Um, and I haven't read a real procedural like that in a long time, so it was kind of refreshing. I'm like, oh... God, I haven't read one of these. This is kind of nice. The crime is, it's a very, it's a very dark crime. So I will give a trigger warning for harm to children, which I know can be very difficult for some readers. Um, but that is the crime at the heart of the story. When the book opens, there, there's a grandmother and her two daughters, and they go to this abandoned farm property to pick walnuts. And... While they are there, the grandmother is murdered, like brutally murdered. And they don't shy away from giving descriptions of what happened. So it's it's kind of intense. And then one of the daughters is kidnapped by the person who killed the grandmother. And so it's right off the bat, a child kidnapping. And there's indications to think that this person believes that the child is his. They've established that it, that it's a male suspect right off the bat, so that's not a spoiler. And so he he kidnaps he kidnaps this girl um who has special needs. There's indication that she may have been harmed during the during the kidnapping and it is like full throttle go 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 trying to figure out what happened to this girl who took her and very quickly Kate Burkholder as she's interviewing the family and other people in the in the community, she very quickly realizes that there is some there's something a very dark secret there. And so I obviously won't go into what that is. 
but yeah, this is not a cozy mystery. This is this is one of those books where like they keep track of the chapters by telling you how much time has passed since the disappearance, like one hour since the disappearance, 10 hours since the disappearance. Like it is very much like you are aware of the time ticking down. It's very, it's very, very, very fast paced. But yeah, lots of procedural details. It's dark. There's violence. Um, They don't shy away from describing the violence. There's cursing. It's like, if you're looking for a cozy mystery, this is not it. If you are looking for a totally page-turning mystery, this is very much a page-turner. And I think one of the really interesting things at the heart of the book is the fact that the character that Kate Burkholder used to be Amish before she left the community but she's, you know, because she still works, she still lives and works in that community. She still is fluent in Pennsylvania Dutch. All of these things, she, there's a lot of conflict between her, between who she was and what her role was before she left the community and what her role is now as an English police officer and trying to get information out of people. And it, there's just a lot of conflict that's, that's really, really interesting. I am by no means an expert at all on the Amish community. Um, so I can't tell if, you know, it, seem, it seems to be, I don't know if, I did not look this up, I don't know if Linda Castillo herself was part of the Amish community or if she just lives in the area and is familiar with the community, I'm not sure. It does seem to be quite knowledgeable. Um, but again, I'm not the best person to ask about that. But it it has been a very yeah it's, it it has been a very compelling read and considering reading has not been one of my one of my go to activities over the last few weeks the fact that i've gotten like two thirds of the of the way through the book in the last couple of days i think says a lot um and i can definitely see why this was picked as a library reads pick last year yeah so my book was shamed by linda castillo it is the eleventh book in the Kate Burkholder series, but she does a lot of like really like low-key recaps. So you you're not you can jump right into this book and not feel like you're missing anything. Yeah, that sounds great. I also have a very dark mystery to talk about. And this is a book that I read back in like 2017, I want to say originally. And I feel like I've been raving about it ever since I originally read it. Um, So the book I read is Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Batican. This is a Filipino novel that is just so good. It's considered like one of the best books to be written in the Philippines. It won like a bunch of different awards when it originally came out before eventually getting published here in the United States. Um, So this book is actually set in like the late 90s in the Philippines. And the religious Mm -hmm. angle is the fact that the people who are solving the crimes are two Jesuit priests, which when this book was originally pitched to me, I literally heard it as a Filipino crime novel where Jesuit priests solve the crime. And I was like, okay, I'm in (laughs) because I how do you ignore that pitch? (laughs) So like I said, this book takes place in like the late 90s. And the story also follows the death of children. So trigger warning for that. Um, it takes place mostly in the slums of the Philippines, or at least where the crimes are taking place are in this, this slum area called Payatas, which is this like 
area that has this massive dump and a bunch of these like poor kids basically go scavenging in the dumps to find things that they can salvage or sell or something along those lines. It's one of the poorest areas in the whole neighborhood, you know, city, things like that. And a bunch of young boys' bodies start appearing in the dump heaps. And the police and cops in the area don't seem to care at all because, again, these are dealing with kids who are living in slums. And so, like, there's not a whole lot of pressure from anyone to figure out what exactly is going on here. And so these two Jesuit priests who are in the area decide that they are going to start looking into these crimes themselves. So one of the priests is actually also a forensic anthropologist, and another one of the priests has a background in psychology. And if you aren't aware, like Jesuit priests are often have like sort of other careers or, you know, things that they are interested in. So they have like these side jobs. So that's not super uncommon. Um, So yeah, these two priests work together with some help from basically like an FBI sort of organization to try to figure out what exactly is going on. Um, There's a lot of things I really, really loved in here. Besides the fact that it takes place in the Philippines and it does a really good job of like exploring this area and explaining sort of what's actually going on in this neighborhood. But it also talks a lot about sort of like the forensic side of police work as well. Again, it's taking place in the 90s. And one of the things it references pretty often is like sort of where they are in forensic technology. And they do actually do like a decent amount of comparison to like American forensic techniques and sort of like how they're behind and the things that they have to do in order to figure out what exactly is going on. And it also kind of just talks about like the politics in the area. Um, If you look up articles related to this book, there are a lot of discussions about how I guess in the Philippines, there was like a lot of misconceptions about serial killers like they basically thought that it wasn't a thing in the philippines and so in this book they like talk about that idea and how when these boys are dying like no one thinks of it being a serial killer situation because it's like super rare or like because no one talks about it again no one thinks that it's a common thing but it actually does happen more often than most people realize and so they talk about that whole sort of angle and Yeah, it's just, it's a really dark book. And there are parts of it that are like, really hard to read, because again, you're dealing with the death of kids. And it's a serial killer. And because like one of the priests is a psychologist, you're kind of going into that psychology of serial killers and people who would like hurt young boys and stuff like that. And so all of that comes into play. So like very much deserves a trigger warning on that aspect. But I found it to be really, really well done. Um, And it does a really good job of like, basically talking about this side of the Philippines that I don't think most people would know about outside of the Philippines. There also is actually an adaptation of this book that I have not watched yet. It is a Filipino adaptation, uh, but it's something I've had on my list for a long time. So if you like Google smaller and smaller circles, you'll probably find like the trailer for it and things like that. But ever since I've read it, I've thought that this would make a really good, you know, recommendation for almost anyone who doesn't mind something a little bit darker in their crime stories. But I found it super, super compelling and definitely recommend it. And again, that's called Smaller and Smaller Circles by F.H. Batican. That sounds so cool. Like, I'm sure I've heard you talk about this before, but my brain is not working. And so that that sounds like such a good book. 
Yeah, it's really great. And I actually didn't own a copy of it before this recording. Um, so when we talked about this, and I knew I wanted to talk about this book, I decided to buy a copy and Soho Press is actually putting out paperback editions of this. So if you live in the United States, it's very easy to get your hands on a copy. So definitely recommend it. All right. Well, yeah, if any of you have recommendations for um, books that are for mysteries that feature religion as a prominent theme, um, especially if it takes place in a um, in a different country, a different community, if it features a religion other than Christianity or any of the related sects, um, let us know because there's a there's a lot of a lot of interesting territory to cover here. But yeah, I'm God. That I that's such that's such a cool suggestion for 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 this topic so i'm i'm glad i'm glad you talked about that one this i think i think that will really fit the bill for someone who's looking for like like yeah i want i want a mystery that features religion but that is not at all what you would think like it's not the dan brown thriller type of thing right or it's not on the cozier side um because there are plenty of um Christian mysteries and thrillers written by Christian authors that do that um that may take either a co- take a cozier side or just features that that aspect of the religion very prominently um so yeah I think I think that's a fantastic suggestion for this yeah and thanks so much to the listener who suggested that we even talk about this topic because definitely picked up some good books because of it for sure All right. So continuing on with the line of really good books to talk about, I have our new releases for this episode. So first up, I have America's First Female Serial Killer, Jane Toppin and the Making of a Monster, which is out already. And this book is by Mary Kay McBrayer, who is actually also a contributor at Book Riot. She does the horror newsletter, I believe. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people at Book Riot are very excited for this book coming out. So if she happens to be listening, congratulations. We're very excited (laughs) for you. This book sounds great. So this book is for readers who are fascinated with how serial killers are made. Um, This follows America's first serial killer who was not always a killer. Uh, It is a novelization, but it's about the true story of the first generation Irish American nurse, Jane Toppin, who was born as Honora Kelly. And although all the facts are intact, books about her life and her crimes are basically just like the facts straight and they don't really have a story to them. But Jane Toppin was a monster. um, And this book kind of explores how she didn't really start out that way. Um, When she was young, her father abandoned her and her sister to the Boston Female Asylum. And from there, Jane was indentured to a wealthy family who changed her name, never adopted her, wrote her out of the will, and essentially taught her how to hate herself. Jilted at the author, Jane became a nurse and took control of her life and the lives of her victims. So again, if you are a fan of like true crime podcasts, if you enjoy things like the TV show Deadly Women or Mindhunter, um, or are just into kind of this like almost feminist angle in terms of like how the way the world treats women can cause someone to uh, kind of go off the rails a little bit, then I think that this would be a book worth picking up. And again, that's called America's First Female Serial Killer by Mary Kay McBrayer. Also out now is These Women by Ivy Pachoda. 
In her new novel, Ivy Pachota creates a kaleidoscope of loss, power, and hope featuring five very different women whose lives are steeped in danger and anguish. They're connected by one man and his deadly obsession, though not all of them know that yet. There's Dorian, who is still adrift after her daughter's murder remains unsolved. Juliana, who is a young dancer nicknamed Jujubee, who lives hard and fast, resisting anyone trying to slow her down. Essie, a brilliant vice cop who sees a crime pattern emerging when no one else does. Mariella, a daring performance artist whose work has pushed boundaries but now puts her in peril. And Aniki, a quiet woman who has turned a willfully blind eye to those around her for too long. The careful existence that they built around themselves starts to crumble when two murders rock their neighborhood. So this is a, you know, really sort of dark book from the award-winning author of Wonder Valley and Visitation Street, um, another book about serial killers. Apparently, that's the theme I accidentally <laughs> hooked myself on because I'm not even joking. I have more books about serial killers I'm about to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I hope you guys like serial killers. But honestly, this book sounds really interesting. So it's a literary thriller of female empowerment and social change. And again, that's called These Women by Ivy Pachoda. And then next, I have uh, The Wife Stalker by Liv Constantine. Um, so Liv Constantine is the author of The Last Mrs. Parish, which was a, um, and this is another psychological thriller that she has put out. So this is taking place in the upscale seaside paradise of Westport, Connecticut, where gorgeous 30-something Piper Raynard sets down roots, opening a rehab and wellness space and joining a local yacht club. When she meets Leo Dracos, a handsome, successful lawyer, the wedding ring on his finger is the only thing she doesn't like about him. Yet, as Piper well knows, no marriage is permanent. Meanwhile, Joanna has been waiting patiently for Leo, the charismatic man she fell in love with all these years ago, to reemerge from the severe depression that has engulfed him. Though she's thankful when Leo returns to his charming, energetic self, paying attention again to Evie and Steli, the children that they both love, Joanna is shocked to discover that it's not her loving support that sparked his renewed happiness, it's something else. Piper. Leo has fallen head over heels for the flaky, new-agey newcomer, and unrepentant and resolute, he is more than willing to leave Joanna behind along with everything that they built. Of course, he assures her that she can still see the children. Joanna is, of course, devastated and determined to find something to use against this woman who has stolen her life and her true love. As she digs deeper into Piper's past, Joanna begins to unearth disturbing secrets. But when she confides to her therapist that she fears for her for the lives of her ex-husband and children, concerns are dismissed as paranoia. So can she find the proof that she needs in order to save them? So again, if you are someone who enjoys these psychological thrillers with a domestic twist, then I'm sure that Liv Constantine is already on your list of authors to check out. And she has a new one out. Um, and again, that's called The Wife Stalker. And then finally, I have what Katie and I have decided is the best book title that we've ever seen before, and that is Camp Murder Face <laughs> by, <I love> it. <laughs> by Sandra Mitchell and Josh Burke. And this is a new middle grade book, which is being described as perfect for fans of people like R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. So this is set in 1983, the place Ohio and the camp is scary as heck. Camp Sweetwater, Camp Sweetwater is finally reopening three decades after it mysteriously shuts down. Campers Corin and Tez have each had more than enough of their regular lives. They're so ready to take their summer at Sweetwater by storm. 
But before they can so much as toast one marshmallow, strange happenings start happening. Can they survive the com- Can they survive the summer, or will Camp Sweetwater shut down for good this time? And with them inside, um, so again, I wish I could like show you the cover of this because the cover is also like a really fantastic like cartoon middle grade cover. I love it so much, and it's really hard to uh, not pay attention to a book called Camp Murder Face. <laughs> So if you are a fan of middle grade, definitely pick this one up again. I I honestly really want to read this one myself just because of the title alone. So Camp Murder Face, if you didn't hear me the first couple of times, by (laughs) Sandra Mitchell and Josh Burke is coming out this coming Tuesday. I wish you could see my face right now because it's like, I feel like out of how just how kind of today was like, this has just brought me so much delight (laughs) knowing that there's a book called Camp Murder Face. And this is like exactly the type of book I would have wanted to read when I was in middle school too, because I loved R.L. Stein's like Goosebump books and like Fear Street books and all this stuff. And a book like Camp Murderface sounds so great. Fun fact: While I was trying to get work done this afternoon, I needed something mindless on, so I put on the old '90s Goosebump series, which is all on Netflix right now. And I just had that playing in the background, including I think the one of the last episodes I watched before I finally turned off the TV was "Welcome to Camp Nightmare." Oh, amazing! Such a classic. Oh, but anyway. These books all sound fantastic. And yeah, when you were talking about like, yeah, serial killers, I'm like, hmm, we got a theme going here. <laughs> I mean, I do like books about serial killers, but I did not realize like how many books I picked out to talk about that featured serial killers this week. So uh, sorry, but also not sorry. Yeah, sorry, not sorry. Um, okay, well, I'll, um, I'll jump in really quick. I'm going to break the serial killer trend a little bit. In terms of what we have finished recently, what we are planning on picking up, um, I'm not sure yet what I want to pick up yet. I do have plenty of choices at home. I'm just not sure yet what I'm in the mood for. Um, I did finish um, the book that I talked about last episode and that we've mentioned before, Winter Counts by David Heska Wombly Wyden, which is so good. Oh my gosh. This is like, this was a book that I wanted to that I wanted to read because is a new uh, a debut Native American author and we know that Native American authors who write thrillers are few and far between. We have done an episode on it. It was really hard to find to find of different authors that fit that bill. Um so I was excited to read it. I mean just for that reason alone. Um usually when I read when I pick thrillers, I don't go for stuff that's like organized crime, drugs, cartels, that kind of a thing. It's not my brand. But this this is the plot of this book. It was so interesting and so good. This is an this was another page turner and considering like I said reading has been difficult f- um for me for a while since we started quarantining and it's gotten easier, but this was like the first new book that I've read in a while because like a lot of the books that I've read recently have been rereads um because I'm like okay at least I know I I will enjoy this book. Um so this is this is the first new book that I have read in a while and I'm I'm very glad that I read it. Um so the main character is Virgil Wounded Horse who is what is known as an enforcer on his reservation in South Dakota which basically means when a crime happens and the tribal police are limited in what they can do, and the federal government is not interested in prosecuting the crime, 
people turn to the enforcers on the reservation who go and find the people who are responsible for the crime and beat the living snot out of him, basically. And so that's kind of how he makes his living, beating the snot out of people. And he is asked by someone on the tribal council who's running for the tribal president. This this person asks him, hey, I need you to look into this. We're having issues with drugs coming into the reservation. I think this one person is connected with it. Can you go... I need you to I need you to take care of it basically. I don't want these drugs coming in. At first he's like, eh, I don't know. I'm like this something about this is like, eh, I'm not sure if I want to get involved with this. But then his nephew, who lives with him and who's 14, ends up very much involved in what's going on with the um with the drugs that are coming into the the reservation. And so this becomes less about, okay, this is another job and like, okay, hey, this is personal to him. Um so I won't give more plot information than that, but it's it is dark. It is gritty. Um there is lots of violence as you can probably tell. But there's also a lot of like side stories that really illustrate like different aspects of the 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 culture and the life on the reservation and the hardships that the I think it's the yeah the Lakota people that they face on the on the reservation and they're just all of these details that just make it they just really enrich the story and it's it's so fascinating and they're they're a good twist to the story it was not it did not quite go in the in the direction that I thought it was going to I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. So as of right now, the book is set to be published in August of this year. So we do have a few months to wait. Hopefully this one does not get pushed back. But when it does come out in print, make sure to pick up a copy of this one. It's getting rave reviews from authors, everyone from like CJ Box to Tommy Orange and Louise Erdrich, and just so many big authors are coming out and saying, holy cow, this book is really, really good. Um, so again, that's Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley-Wyden. And like I said, I'm not sure what I'm starting next. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where I'm finishing books, but I'm not really sure like what my brain's in the mood for next. So always talking about like what's coming up, I have not, no idea. Although I have been thinking the same thing as you of like, I haven't really read like a new release in a while. And I feel like I should pick up something along those lines but anyways on to the thing that i actually finished um i read dragonfish by vu tran which katie i know you've read and mm -hmm. really enjoyed and mm -hmm. i have had this one sitting on my like physical tbr for a number of years now and for whatever reason i was like this is the time i'm going to pick it up now so i was like very pleasantly surprised by this book i think i went into it with like kind of low expectations only because the, I knew it was kind of a noir-y type of book and those do are very hit or miss for me I should say so I didn't know how this one was gonna sit with me but I again was very pleasantly surprised you're following this character or the main point of view is this character named Robert who is a police officer in California I believe Oakland and he was married for a handful of years to this Vietnamese woman named or that he renames as Susie. <laughs> but she left him a few years back and but she he still kind of loves her. So he says, um, but she's like moved away and he eventually finds out that she got remarried and is now with this gambler named Sonny, who is really physically abusive with her. And 
a whole lot of stuff happens, but eventually like Susie basically goes missing and Sonny, the new husband, ends up hiring Robert to figure out what exactly happened to her. And that's all I'll say in terms of synopsis, because I think, at least for me, I went into this relatively blind. Like I kind of forgot what the main storyline was besides the fact that there was this guy named Robert who was married to a Vietnamese woman um, who goes missing. And everything that happened in here was kind of like a delight. Uh, There's kind of a dual perspective thing going on here because it's mainly told through Robert's point of view but there's also like sections in here that are like diary entries or letter style um, things that are about Susie and her life. Um, She was a Vietnam refugee and a lot of this book talks about sort of that experience and her living in a refugee camp before coming to the United States and there are other characters in here. Basically, every character in this book besides Robert is a character of Vietnamese descent. And a lot of them also went through like similar experiences. And so it's kind of brilliant the way this book is structured because it's set up like a classic noir book. But it has all of these stories about like refugees and the immigrant experience and, you know, living in the United States as someone who's not originally from the United States and the way that you like view things here and but also like the dark corners of their past and things along those lines. I was very, again, just like completely surprised by how much I enjoyed this book. I think that it's like extremely readable. Um, though I talked about this recently and I was like, this book would be like the perfect beach read if anyone was going to beaches anymore. Um, because it's like the that perfect sort of summer read where it like completely pulls you in from the first page and you want to know what's going to happen. So I really enjoyed this. And I just was, again, very pleasantly surprised by how much I ended up getting into this book because I'm not typically like a noir type reader. Um, But if you are or if you're just interested in stories that feature uh, Vietnamese refugees, this is a good one to pick up. So again, that's Dragonfish by Vu Tran. Yeah, and I'll say I said this when we when I talked about initially in the episode, I don't like noir stories like it usually they do not do it for me i really liked this book so two people who don't usually like noir stories are recommending this one so go read it yeah definitely and like i said i don't know what i'm gonna be reading next so i don't have anything else to talk about but i'm sure i'll have something by the time we record the next episode So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen and head over to the Red or Dead page. There'll be links to all of the stories that we talked about at the top of the show, as well as links to all of the books that we mentioned here today. If you enjoy the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us. And if you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions or anything along those lines, you can find us at redordead at bookriot.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincy A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore Library Lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.